So, how are we all? Are we all good? We are, yes. Apart from, you know, <laughs> the threat of uh, nuclear war happening at any uh, given second. Yeah, I prefer that didn't happen anytime soon. Really? I'm kind of, you know what, I've been thinking about this a lot, because obviously it's quite uh, prevalent at the moment, that thinking, do I want to live until, like, long A, you know, like, uh, into my into my years, or do I just want to go out on a high and just have a nuclear weapon and that's it then at least i know that i know what's coming you know what i mean i don't have to like worry about the threat of like a heart attack or a stroke or anything which is you know obviously inevitable technically anything could happen at any moment to you you know biologically mm-hmm. um or yeah. geopolitically or whatever so if you think about all the possibilities that could happen in the next five ten seconds you, you'd go crazy if you thought that way so you have to just go I'm just going to carry on. Well, yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, you have to just yeah, either carry on. But I don't know. Did anybody else? And maybe this is just me. But when it was announced, you know, that Putin raised the alert on uh, the nuclear deterrent, I felt a sense of relief. I don't know why. I had this kind of weird, like, oh, thank fuck, it's it's coming, to, it's coming to a close very soon. What your life? Yeah. Mm, I don't think that's a sort of existential human problem, mate. I think that's a sort of you problem. Oh, that's, that's definitely a me issue, for sure. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that reminds me of a Bill Hicks thing. It's like, yeah, we needed a war to feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Are you in that place, Tom? No, no, certainly not. No. So I want, Maybe I, a fruit cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Press ups. No, I don't, no I, don't, I don't want people to suffer. I don't want a war or anything like that. I just, you know, but the, the sweet relief of like, oh, I know the missile's coming. Uh, that question, that existential question of um, would you be okay if the world ended tomorrow? Would you feel like you've done enough or would you feel like really shortchanged or really upset? <laughs> upset, in inverted commas. Yes, I'm ret- writing a strongly worded yet letter to the Times. <laughs> <laughs> when, oh, when, yeah, when will the BBC oh, learn? will Putin wake up and realise <laughs> that I'm only 45? Yeah. You're pretty dumb. Oh, I'm not talking about my superpower. It's basically Desert Island Disc without the discs. So, who the hell do you think it's? So I'm quite a bit dicks, basically. I'm just here to walk around corners and draw. Yep, cool, moving on. Whether that's instilled socially or economically or politically, people will eventually adapt to it. The freedom fighters are done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that, that the answer to that, that was Robert from Tunbridge on... Wells. <laughs> <laughs> and he's furious. That depends on whether you've got children or not. Because if you'd have asked me before I had my daughter, um, the world's going to end tomorrow, how do you feel? I'd be like, it's cool, it's fine. Like, I've, you know, led a meaningful life, had loads of friends, created a lot, been a productive human being, it's fine. But now I can't die for it. I can't die for at least 16 years. I can't die before my daughter's done her GCSEs. Well, funny enough, actually, this actually leads us into uh, the first question. Uh, quite strangely, not comparing uh, your daughter to a pet, by the way, but sure. I think there is the, the, the reason why I mention that is because there is obviously a, a connection um, that do pets make you more of an empathetic person, and also uh, as a tag, do they or can they play an important role in a child's development? Okay, Tim, have you got a pet? Yeah. What do you have? Oh, I've got two cats. Have you really? Yeah, I've got two cats. We've got we've got two black cats. They're brothers, which uh, we named Biff and Marty. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I mean, is I've... Biff the dominant one? Biff, uh, on looks, yes, because he's the long hair, and his and uh, Marty is the short hair. Biff 
was the one who very very quickly is like i want to try and hang out with you are you are you my new humans i don't know how to feed myself can we be friends <laughs> yeah is there any food <laughs> i've i love cats so we've never had dogs other people always had the dogs yeah um yeah. in fact my my mum's uh one of my mum's oldest oldest friends from when i was a kid i uh, used to breed labradors so mm. I was around dogs a lot. We just didn't own them. We right. we, we, we had everything else because it looked like we were just a cat family. And then I got a goldfish, got a couple uh, until one of the cats saw to that. One, one, one morning, there was just a fin floating at the top of the bowl. Circle of life, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay, Nature, red in tooth and claw. But we, we had things like, <laughs> we, had, we had stick insects. We looked after a tortoise. We had two ducks for a while. We had oh, chickens, okay. all sorts. So over that that first sort of like eighteen years of my life, yeah, all, all sorts. About with the cat and you know only finding a fin left and things that teaches you from a very young age about death though as well. Also, fish are tasty to all sorts of species, <laughs> not just humans. <laughs> that was that was a re the real take home message, wasn't it, Tim? <laughs> yeah. No, I was. I can remember when that happened, and um, I. <laughs> I didn't see the fin. Uh, it was something that mum told me because I, I think when that happened, I was about 10. Um, I was 10 or 11. And it's like, Tim, really sorry, but Fred has gone. So it's a kind of a textbook kind it, of parental. It was like, we came downstairs. There was just a fin left floating on the surface. A parental protection yeah, moment. Yeah, but I, I don't I think... I thought they would have gone with... They'd gone to a pond in the sky. No, because I was... pond somewhere. I was way beyond that. Um, okay. by 10 11 um i i didn't have to be be collar and they could say i wasn't i think i would have been more gutted if one of the cats had died um but with a fish it's not even a mammal it's swimming about so i had an attachment and that but it was just this swift thing that you know swam in the bowl so the Ooh. the the sense of empathy towards the fish yeah. was limited but the sense of empathy i had towards when we had cats yes absolutely well we kind of conditioned if you know if you noticed with certain and particular animals even with, with pets or you know things like a goldfish and things like oh, well but you know they don't remember anything so you don't connect with it on a human i mean yeah I'm not not in the same way as i think that you would with the dog or with a cat i could be completely yeah. wrong I, you no, know, I apologies I, to fish people out there and all the yeah rest of because it, the, the thing with cats dogs etc they respond back to you in a way that some people perceive as a, oh it's almost human yeah fish don't do that fish no. you just go see them swimming about and that's it yeah you know all you can do you know if you tap on the side of you know even on on of of the tank you'll scare them and that's the only thing oh and if you drop the food they'll go up to the service and go oh great something to eat but, uh, but there is still but, a but reaction that, but that's it know. there's there's yeah. no thing towards you of going you're my human and mm. i'm your fish yeah whereas with cats and dogs there's a bit more of that so I'd say you, far more with dogs so there's always been an empathy there you've you've always had empathy Absolutely. With animals. oh yeah, yeah. the key the key thing as well with with animals is that you can you can have a meaningful relationship with an animal because they're they're there they're familiar they do emote like they they feel sadness and they feel joy you can see when you know they're happy but also what what i love about animals is that they don't judge like people do oh i it's think okay. cats judge totally yeah cats are, cats are kind of dicks though aren't they <laughs> But cats are like the sort of exception to that. But like, that's why animals are used in like animal therapy, animal-assisted therapy and pet therapy. Absolutely. It's, that's why it's so successful is that you can, you know, interact with an animal, stroke an animal, feed an animal, and it doesn't say things like, oh, I've just got to check my Instagram or... <laughs> 
or can, can you not stroke me like that? It, it, may, it, it irritates me. You know, like animals aren't dicks. Like they're not judgmental. They're sort of, I don't mean they love you unconditionally because if you're, if you're unkind to an animal, then they'll respond in that way. But I think animals are good for empathy because they're just a really good example of kind of consistent and non-judgmental love. True. But does it work the other way around? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my, my sort of example of that is as, as a dad, when my daughter's sort of throwing books around, that's just sad for me because I bought them <laughs> and she's abusing literature, which is a bit of a no-no in my house. When she's, you know, chucking her clothes around, you're sort of like, oh, Florence, like Florence, don't do that. But she's at the age now where she say like, why not? And all you can say is because it looks messy or I don't want you to. And it's not, it's not kind of, that's not convincing enough for a child. But when she sort of poked our cat and was really rough with her, then that was, that was basically my opportunity to say, because you've just hurt our cat, she's part of our family as well. And now she looks really frightened. And you can see that sort of learning going in. So we're teaching my daughter empathy through the example of our pet and it works. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. I, I was absolutely against all pets because I, I had a pet like a family pet but I was too young to kind of remember it like I because uh, typically you get a pet and then if one unfortunately passes away or dies you then get another one as a replacement Absolutely. or things like didn't get another pet at all I, I, my my dad was like no can't go through it again at all you know, because of the heartbreak until I was away doing a show and then got a phone call from a mum saying yeah got a dog I was like great fantastic but absolutely emotionless I was like okay I don't care completely turned off no and I was all my way on the way back traveling home thinking to myself nope you know no don't get involved nothing to do with me I'm going to exclude myself from it absolutely blah blah Mm. two seconds it took for seeing the dog walk into the room that was it and immediately I was like oh fuck i'm like, feeling yeah exactly <laughs> and oh great i've you know you've signed as bill burr says you know, oh great i'm now signed up to a 15-year commitment so uh somebody wants to know what is the scariest thing that you've ever witnessed or that you have been a part of nuclear war doesn't count there's plenty i'm afraid of uh in terms of rational yeah. I think like you know I'm terrified of heights don't like heights yeah. although we'll happily get into a, an aircraft and fly to another country um, yeah. I've been up in a hot air balloon and not batted an eyelid possibly to do with the fact of when you're in the basket and it's like it's more than three quarters of your height you feel mm. automatically safer but I mean one of the scariest things but also amazing views I've ever had in my life is when I went to New York for the first time um, about three years ago, three, four years okay. ago. And we went to the very top of the Empire State Building. And when you go to the nice. top, there, there, there's kind of the first version of the top, which is still inside. Then you can go up another level and it's outside but fenced. And I walked around the perimeter of that outside bit. And even though, you know, there are massive fences on it, you can still see this incredible vista surrounding you of the rest of New York. And it's terrifying because your brain is telling you, do you realize how high up you are? Um, yeah. And my, my brain has real trouble because it's, 
it's trying to hold back from not showing me the images of this is what it looks like when you plummet. Um, and I'm and what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to take you know uh, panoramic shots of the skyline because it's like I'm not going to be doing this again anytime soon. So I mm. need to get as many photos as I can. But if if I stop to kind of try and take it in, I didn't like it. It was actually if I look towards the horizon, it's fine. It's when you're looking closer to straight down, it's just horror i'm feeling weird just describing that because i can picture it in my head um because then you can actually go up a bit higher which we did as well but that bit's indoors again um mm. it was a bit that was outdoors that was just truly amazing but it was for me horrifying because yeah it's the the, the fear of heighting but scariest thing that i've ever witnessed so i guess the sheer height that i was at would be the the closest i can come to answering that yeah okay see my my experience is quite quite different I, th I think i'm told i think we talked about this before tom some drunken evening is that one of the scariest things i've ever heard is is <laughs> his pretentious start to a sentence i was watching the cherry orchard when i was a, a child and um, at the end of the cherry orchard um they all they all move out and they leave i think he's called furs i think the butler the elderly butler's called furs and they've basically forgotten him. It's like a kind of literary version of Home Alone. And they've all buggered off. And he's really old. And he's about to die. And he says, and I, so I die. And it's as if I've never lived. And mm -hmm. when I heard that when I was really young, that scared the shit out of me. Because I thought, imagine contemplating your life and reviewing your entire life just before you died and think, actually it wouldn't really have mattered if I'd have lived or not. Like my life's had so little impact. I've mm. produced so scant a kind of body of, of, of work or relationships. It wouldn't matter if I died, I've done nothing. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that's what scares the shit out of me on my deathbed, thinking that about my life. Yeah, I think-, I think It's as if I've never lived. I think a that, lot of people feel the same. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's Absolutely. kind of terrifying to me. I, I can remember, Another thing that stuck with me that, that always made me nervous that have you guys ever had um, particularly bad stress dreams that have like stuck with you, particularly ones mm. perhaps you had from childhood? I've, I've got one. Again, I think it's kind of interlinked with the, the heights thing. Um, but one that I always remember is I was underwater and it wasn't the, the breathing thing. I can't remember whether, whether I was wearing an aqualung or not in it. That, was, that wasn't the problem. I was swimming quite happily. But the thing was is that I suddenly realized... Um, I hadn't seen a fish or anything else for ages. And then all of a sudden, it's like, if I looked forwards or down, everything went from that dark blue and faded to black. Mm. I think as well that, that that for me, Tim, probably taps into one of the kind of core primitive fears of man is, and actually you've got two there. You've got the sea, like the unknown, the metaphorical unknown. And also that darkness that just, disappears that's just that's death isn't it that, that actually the more i think about it that that dream is literally just death i had a dream i have a dream regularly um when i'm feeling like i'm losing control of a situation or my, my i'm losing my grasp on something or lots of things i'm teaching at the front of a classroom and i'm starting to raise my voice but the the students just get louder and louder and louder and the more i shout the more I lose my voice. And in the end, the, at the end of the dream, the whole class are just being hysterically loud and I have no voice left. I'm just whispering, sort of in this impotent, horsey whisper. And um, 
and then I wake up having usually soiled myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's that's really interesting, though, that, if, if from your perspective, because your voice is your weapon. That's your, yeah. That's that's in, that's your arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, so that, definitely. That's, so you must so be very actually, deeply may, rooted. Maybe the dream is is more sort of that's, visceral, more more. Yeah. Take away. Yeah, take away your voice, and you've taken actually a hell of a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite an interesting point, actually. Um, Tom, I always thought that it was just about you know being not being heard, not and, being heard, or having your voice heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was slightly morbid, but um, but uh, Christopher Hitchens on his uh, when he was going through his um, his cancer treatment, and he was doing a bunch of interviews, and it's because he got cancer of the esophagus, and they said, and he was, it's the irony of that it's my voice which is going to be affected which is my weapon it's quite cruel actually isn't it oh absolutely and, yeah and again it's, yeah. it's it's your subconscious sort of generally yeah. really being in control isn't it i know we're obviously by definition not aware of our subconscious but our subconscious has got far more clout than our conscious hasn't oh, it? Really? Yes. emotionally absolutely. and physically sometimes absolutely yeah and it's only, it's only happened once to this extent i was doing a um a show it was it was a comedy farce and there was this bit in it where it is uh, a what's the best way to describe it uh, a trust fall as what people w- would know uh, <laughs> which is in theatrical terms you have to be so unbelievably on it for timing wise and for it to be have a comedic effect um and i was in, I was in this play, but I was also directing it as well. So I wasn't really paying attention to the actual acting part. I was kind of just going through the motions, but I was always backstage listening to hear what will get a laugh, what's working, what is in, and trying to kind of piece it together from backstage. So I would know the play back to front. And there's this one bit where there's this trustful, and it is a case of where this character would suddenly run this way, they would twirl, and then they would be caught by this person who's looking the other way, and then at the very last second, they would turn and catch them. So they fell back. So they fell backwards. Yeah, this person kind of did a twelve, fainted, and then fell back into this person's arms. But the person who caught them was looking, is directed to be looking the other way. But then you know, there's a cue, and then turn, and then catch. And if it's done right, it's very, very funny, and it's it's quite impressive to to, to witness. I was backstage, and you know, expecting you know, hearing the beats, hearing the build up, da 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 da, the rhythm, dum ba dum ba dum, and whack, and. I've never, I've never to like since that moment. I've never had it again. I froze. Everything, I from my toes all the way up to the top of my head, I couldn't move because I knew what happened. Because obviously, it was missed, and, and they they basically just fell straight back, and and landed on the stage. And this person had missed to catch them, and that is the most. I, I, it was really odd because it's the most frightening thing I've ever experienced. But I wasn't witness to it. I, I mean this generally, generally out of curiosity. Were you obviously you you ascertained that she fell back and just basically hit her head first on the on the boards? Yeah. Were yeah. you frightened for? <laughs> were you frightened because she may have seriously hurt herself, or were you thinking about the responsibility of that hurt because you were the director? Um, with a and this is a genuine thing. It was a genuine. Oh my god, are they okay? On, on a health aspect of I hope they mm. haven't seriously hurt themselves genuinely about 0.5 seconds later <laughs> it was the 
um, the um, health much, and safety aspect. How much trouble am I in? And um, how much trouble, and <laughs> um, and also, and, the, and, the, and this is awful as well. Okay, so you've got from that to 0.5 to the legal ramifications, yes. to then the, the other 0.5 seconds after that, which is, did the audience notice? Which, of course, they fucking did. <laughs> Going back to the heights thing again. Actually, the first time I went up in a jumbo jet, I flew to Germany. And I hadn't been one in before, so my brain had no point of context. And I, you know, you get the feeling when you feel the, the blood draining from your head. Yeah. And so the, I got that, um, you know, so it was like a whiteout um, yeah. for the trip to Germany. So it was only about an hour, hour and a half journey, but I white knuckled it all the way there. I was fearful for throwing up. I was fearful for everything. I cold sweated whiteed all the way there and it was horrible and i was so relieved to get off at the other at the other end however the return flight whatever it was i had found the equivalent of my sea legs you know when people were on boats mm. and stuff like that for, for you know you stop being seasick i didn't bat an eyelid on the on the flight home and i've been fine ever since do you know what to expect then i can't every every time i go on a plane can't stand it is the, the worst experiences ever i hate I've it i've sat next to him on a flight before i can vouch for that Lots of stroking. Not from him, from me. I had to stroke him a lot to calm him down. See, you know, this is the thing is because then I know that my demeanour and the way that I'm, because I'm sitting, rocking backwards and forwards going, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, is affecting everybody around me looking at me going, well, if he's nervous, I'm going to be nervous. It was horrible. Fear is contagious, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Especially on a plane. It's, again, because you, you know, you're confined in, into you, a fucking space, which you, you should not be up there for fuck's sake. What is your favourite story that you've ever been told? Or myth? Something which is supposed to be of legend and you wish it were to be true. You know, what, you know, accolades or, you know, the you know, the kind of like the underground stories or anything like that. Have you ever been told one? And I hope this is true. I so hope it's true. But um Kurt Douglas, okay? He's you know, he's got a very Know, famous sons, you know, they're all at, you know within the field. Of yeah, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas, obviously. Um, there was also um, he had another son, as well. Can't remember his name. I'll add this in later. But um, who tried to make it as a stand-up comedian? Okay. Have you heard this story before? No. 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 Okay. Again, I hope this is true. I so wish it to be true. So this guy, um, Kurt Douglas's son, can't remember his name. Uh, was trying to be a stand-up comedian. And so, like all really good stand-ups, so he came over to Britain to try it on this circuit because if he couldn't make it here, that was it, you're, you're fucked. And the, sto- the the legend goes that he was in the comedy store in either London or Manchester, something like that. And he went out on stage and he started to bomb and was doing really badly and the audience started to turn on him. And apparently, he, by that point, he lost his rag, uh, just lo- lost his shit and started to turn on the audience. God, I hope this is true. So he apparently turned around and said, so he started screaming at the audience, going, do you know who the fuck I am? Do you know who the fuck I am? I'm Kurt Douglas's son. And apparently, I wish this is true, somebody stood up in the audience and went, no, I'm Kurt Douglas's son. And then somebody else stood up and said, I'm Kurt Douglas's son. And apparently the whole audience in unison all stood up. We need to get that. I hope... That's great. I wish that is true. I really do. It's fucking fantastic. 
I hope that sort of bring a swift end to his aspirations of being a stand-up comedian. Again, it could be just one of those stories because it, it is a good comedy joke in itself. Part of having like a really cool story is knowing your family. I think people who, who do their family trees, like mm. research their lineage, I think that unearths some really, really cool, really, really cool stuff. Because the best stories are ones that have happened, aren't they? Like in inverted commas, true. Yeah. That just makes it seem a bit more, you know, a bit more incredible, doesn't it? And dramatic. So like one that one that stands out to my mind, because it is true, is the one about my my, my great uncle. He was a miner. And um, in Cornwall, in the sort of Victorian era, what you did when you started to mine is that on your first day, you turn up when you were about 14 and you go right to the bottom of the pit. And you'd work there because the oh, air you work, is thick. Work your way up over the years. Exactly. Yeah. It was like a physical hierarchy. So you'd start at the bottom where the air was like really, really thick. And then the more seniority you got, you worked yourself up a level. And basically the end goal was to get to the surface. Like that was that was where you wanted to be in the air, basically. And that's why so many miners died. Because they, you know, they just inhaled so much coal dust. And my um, my uncle spent years and years and years and years and years working his way up the mine. And then finally he became mine captain, which is when you actually got to get out in the open, in the open air. And sort of very, very soon after that, um, my other uncle, my younger uncle, I think it was Uncle Tom, he started his first day and he went down to the bottom of the pit. But he was very clearly obvious that he was asthmatic and he was just absolutely finished within a few days he was choking spluttering and everyone was like well he's either going to die or he can't work and provide for his family so my uncle bill i think it was who had spent 20 years working his way up the mine just swapped with him and he went right down to the bottom of the pit again and so my uncle tom could work at the top in the fresh air Bloody and I, and so like that's true, so that yeah. story always, it it just amazes me because a, it's incredible. B, it's true, and C, someone from my family did it. Yeah. Um, Bloody hell. That's yeah. That's, yeah. that's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my favorite story. As well. Yeah, I think it's just yeah, I mean you could literally make a film about that that sort yeah. of act of selflessness, and and of course he died very soon after that. Yeah, but we always inflate to, stories and yeah, to make to make the story more entertaining and to keep to your audience mm. captivated. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what that's what Homer did because obviously before the Iliad and the Odyssey were written down, it was done by um, uh, it was word of mouth. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, how absolutely. do you keep your audience doing? It, they were doing the equivalent of what they do now with blockbuster movies. It's like you mm. embellish with yeah. Action, mm. drama, pathos, conflict, uh, conflict, etc. Yeah, yeah. So the Iliad goes into great detail sometimes in the in the battles of mm. like how people are being maimed, wounded, etc. Gods interfering and stuff like that. So, that. so that's your special effects there and stuff like yeah. you know all of that sort of thing. I mean, with um, Odysseus going home, it's like yep, going down to the underworld. You know, it's, yeah. it's like oh my god, he's going down to the underworld. He visits all these dead people. Mm -hmm. uh, 
You choose the sort of the the weird beast or the massive storm of Skiller Charybdis. Which one do you choose? Either one. It's they both sound amazing. That yeah. sort of thing. Um, Cersei with you know turning everyone into animals. That sort of thing. I think I I've done that as well though. You've turned <laughs> people into animals, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know we're we're a we're a gifted gifted species, the Roberts. No, I mean like embellish your own stories you create your own bollocks don't you, <laughs> you create yeah. your own bullshit <laughs> so uh question and this is funny enough actually this was um asked uh by two different people but essentially this, the same question which is uh which is quite fun is nostalgia and how powerful is it uh at what point do people stop enjoying the new and start clinging to nostalgia but then also somebody asked that at the same time, is there such a thing as too much nostalgia? Hmm. Um, Tim, would you describe yourself as a sort of sentimental person, a nostalgic kind of person? Absolutely. Do, do stuff in moderation. I don't think I've ever reached the point of too much nostalgia. If, if you're only ever looking backwards and, and not making any headway forward, then that's going to end in some form of arrested development for for yourself but i I, but no i i I enjoy looking back on stuff i always have done i guess because i think i think it goes back to when i was a kid there were certain you know you got used to certain shows being on tv that you absolutely loved yeah and particularly i found this with um a few cartoons which were episodic so there was an ongoing story like uh, mysterious cities of gold um that sort of thing Mm. You never saw the end of those because I either I missed them or they just stopped broadcasting it. So you end up with this feeling of that's that story's unresolved for you. So mm. you look back because you're going, what happened at the end? Yeah. And um, so I I found myself to it particularly once the the internet became widely available it was very easy to go what the hell happened at the end of Mysterious Cities of Gold? I'd really like to know. I think that's a very good point there. I think since the introduction of multimedia platforms on the internet, that's when I think the, the, the harking back is, and, and the reminders constantly is where, where it all comes from. Because beforehand, it was, we, we were just reliant on memory and notes. Mm. And, you know, God forbid, books. That's what yeah. we had. Whereas now, it's at any cost. Like, how many times have I watched Friends? Over and over because it's good. I enjoy, you know, it is a very good program, for example. But yeah. it's it's also the comfort that comes with it as well. Yes, absolutely, hugely. Mm. To do. If I don't have, if you don't have an uh, or any like form of emotional connection to something, that's where I believe where nostalgia comes in. Is that if you don't have any connection to it, then you just go, well, you kind of gloss over it and go, well, I didn't particularly care for it all that much, really. Yeah. Um, and I so I guess for some people, it's like so you have the you have. Um, like Matt said, you have this, the sentimental feeling of going, that stuff used to make me feel really good. So I like going back to it every now and again because it makes me feel good again. And for some people, I, I guess it's it's not even a diminishing of, uh, you know, diminished returns on it. It's like every time you go back, you leave it enough time, you, you can recapture it a bit. Oh, so it's always the same as, but then going back to listen to um, uh, sad songs. Yeah. You know, or remind us, you know, of a time of, Okay, I've got through that period. I feel better yeah. now, but he's reminding me of that. That's the one thing as as well in which I I learned in therapy and to do with psychological factors that 
there is a lot to do to do with trauma and things of where of yeah. looking um remembering a traumatic experience yeah that the difference being is and this has always stuck with me because i thought this is really interesting the difference is between remembering and reliving yes and that's a huge difference and i think that's, you know, that's mm. really quite in, t- in 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 tow and in uh in line with nostalgia yes remembering has a certain amount of distance between you and event where there's reliving i think reliving, you're, you're emotionally connected you've to got it you still got the connection and you remember how you fi- how you felt at that particular time yeah. whereas to be able mm. to look on it and to reflect on it but without an emotional tie to it you can then say to yourself okay well I, i've got past that or that it no longer affects you whereas it's you know a lot of it's to do with, i mean you look at i'm sorry i'm, I'm jumping uh, the gun with a lot of things but you look at politics as a huge one and i'm not trying to turn this into a political conversation but of how a lot of what the politics has done over the course of the last 25 years not so much in the last five years it really i think there has been a, a, a bit of an adaptation now but that how it was always a sense of remember when this was great yes you mm. okay you look back at american politics make america great again yeah. you know we're trying to harp back to something it's like hold on you're talking about a country which is always progressive was the case it says that you're always moving forward but we need to but apparently now we need to look back to remember how good it was so we can get back to that point it's not going to be well, we know a, it's not going to be a, a certain a certain pool of people in america are asking you to look back and try and remember that and they're aiming that very specifically at a certain group of people I d- they're trying to attr- i don't think if, to- i think there's a, a huge barometer of okay you know if you want to call you know trump supporters or republicans if you want to call it no but i think you, you you've even got the intellectual intellectual left who are still wanting to do the same thing of be, you know, to hark back to when manners were there, and that things we didn't speak in the terms of the way that we that we now talk to each other, we're so freely and so rudely and blatantly now. There, there used to be a thing called class and yeah. delicacy and all the rest of it, whereas now there isn't. You're talking about etiquette and stuff uh, like precisely. that. Precisely, yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, the the other thing that that makes the other thing that kind of makes that quite um, quite relevant to the question as well is that nostalgia is usually about simplicity. For a lot of people, um, when I think about the parts of my childhood or the parts of my growing up, I don't necessarily think of the bad crap. I like to I like to curate and choose stuff to think about, mm. or I enjoy things. I enjoy thinking about things, and the one thing that they have in common is is well, the two things probably is is safety, feeling safe, and also yeah. feeling simple. Life now for me and for most people is just you know. A kind of just just frenzied chaotic overload of information work people have never worked harder you have to you have to be responsible for 50 billion different sort of systems and nothing about this our life at the moment is simple but when i think about growing up in the 80s that was simple there was no internet also it's very appealing to think back to a time when you had less responsibility yeah, definitely. Hence, hence simpler. But it's like, yeah, you didn't, ha- you don't have the responsibility to do as an adult. So you and I harking, you know, us harking back to, well, wasn't life simple in the eighties? Yes, it bloody was because we didn't, ha- you know, we, well, we were kids. didn't have to. We we were yeah. kids. Yeah, so, of course, it was but we were maybe. kids without the internet, and that that's a, that's a huge that's a huge fact. That we were kids yeah. without social media, so we were sort of in inverted commas happy. 
you're brought up to behave a certain way. So some people are going to continue that and some people are just going, I don't like doing that for sure. whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm saying is that, but we are, what I mean is that we are constantly reminded of, look at this back, look at this time when it was better, that we've got to return to this. Whereas in fact, when like exactly as uh, Matt has pointed out, but when we were at that point, we we're already discussing about the things which have brought us to that point yeah. constantly because yeah. of an institutionalized Isn't it usually sense. through a time of, because you're going through a time of conflict, however that is, and then that, that yearning back is often to a time when they're, it was perceived that there was no or certainly less conflict. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also think as well, like, nostalgia isn't fashionable. It's not cool to be nostalgic or, like, show that sort of sentimentality. Like, a lot of people, like, on their Instagram or their Facebook posts will do, like, throwback Thursday or, oh, two years ago today. But that's just that's just so they can have shit to... That can... Content can, Like, you know, get, yeah. like, it's just content, isn't it? But like the 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 era that we live in at the moment, and it has been like this for a while, is about present tense, future tense, moving forward, being progressive. So I think it's quite unfashionable to be publicly nostalgic about stuff like remember when, because it's sort of like for me that's like an old person thing to say. Yeah, I agree. Until it's then suited, or when it's uh, it is a very uh, apt point to use it. Mm. Especially, yeah. I don't want to highlight in politics in that sense because it's always always has been that the main tactic is uh telling you what to be afraid of and telling you who to blame for it that's nostalgic yeah that's true and i I guess as well like in my mind i've been when when you asked that question in my mind i've been thinking about my personal nostalgia sure yes of course oh i remember when i was you know shagging a haystack in a field somewhere when i was 10 or whatever (laughs) that's not a great example but that's not necessarily that's personal nostalgia but what you're referring to is is nostalgia being used as a, as a weapon to get people to think in a certain political kind of or ideological way? And in that sense, yes, yeah. it is. Not so much weapon, but, but yes, well, you know, tactic. But yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, because we can all talk from a, from a personal experience. But yeah, as a, more of a kind of like a bird's eye view perspective. But you can see why it, it's tempting because you're trying to reach a certain demographic, aren't you? By going, mm. do you remember this? I can give you that yeah and which is mm. incredibly sinister and you shouldn't believe anyone who, do, who says that but some people really want it and mm. trump is proof of that oh god yeah um, yeah. yeah nostalgia i think is absolutely is much more uh much more of a hindrance than it is a uh, a positive yeah agreed it makes me think actually like if there was a government or a, re- or a regime trying to sort of convince me or tempt me with that kind of rhetoric. Let's get back to a Britain when, or let's get back to when we, what, what, would, what would be the sort of bait for me to go, oh, Cream yes. teas. What is the most absurd thing that's ever made you cry? Um, <laughs> I, grass. Uh, because <laughs> I have terrible i've i've had ever since a, a kid i i used to get really really bad hay fever and i was uh, yeah okay so yeah. i I'd, yeah so in terms of you know if you think about it in an absurd fashion yeah the stuff growing in the fields behind the house where i grew up sort of um yeah every summer it was like i'd be making sure i've got enough pills otherwise i would be streaming that's a you know what that's a really fucking good answer i was like going into like emotional depth 
like what has made me cry was like really affected me. The most absurd thing I've ever cried at is the film Jerry Maguire. Of, of all what, things, what part? The ending. The ve- yes, everyone thinks you know. Every, everyone thinks about Jerry Maguire, and it's uh, you know, you had me at hello, and you complete me. Which uh, is yeah, and Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's a very well written piece and all the rest of it. It's about the. It's actually the very very ending, where it's uh, his client, which is uh, played by Cuban Gooding Jr. Yeah, where all the way throughout the film they've been trying to strive for him to get a new contract, but they keep yeah. you know, running into hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, and then. Um, he then finally gets the contract for it. And there's this lovely little setup where in all the way throughout the film, he turns around and says, he, um, he's got a word called qualm. He goes, he goes, that's my word. It means love. It means peace. It means joy. It means everything. It's, it's just lovely. It's just qualm. That's why he says it. And right at the end, as a throwback, he turns around and he goes, Jerry Maguire, my agent, you are my ambassador of qualm. And I fuck every single time I've seen it in clips and I've just gone, Oh, that's nice. But if you watch that whole film in entirety, and so you actually go on that journey on on those on those arcs of those um, characters and stuff like that, it every mm. fucking time it, it fucking it destroys me. It's really weird, and I've noticed that, like romance films, like rom coms and stuff like that, pish, don't give a fuck. But anything which has got to do with friendship, it's mm. it really gets to me. I don't know why. It's, it's really strange, and people working, yeah, people working in, in teams, and like going through a process together, like you know, and uh, going through like a the struggle, going through the, mm. the trial and succeeding at the end. Yeah, well, not, not even sometimes about like the succession of it, but sometimes just you know, but they, the they, fact that they gel and work together yeah. as a unit yeah. and they work well together. Yeah, yeah. I you know, feel like cause I, I, I'm the same, Tom. I, I like those sort of stories because. If it's not a rom-com, in, in a rom-com or a romance, you've got that sort of added agenda. You've got that sort of added complication. Exactly. Yeah. But if it's a friendship, it's just pure, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's um, the film Once as well. Have you seen that before? Um, to do with the um, uh, the buskers. Uh, there's a, a famous Irish busker based on a true story. And he meets a, um, a Polish girl. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one there. Yes, and it's all to do incredible. with, you know, are they going to fall in love? How are they going to do all this? And it never does. It, no. it, it doesn't. And it goes on the basis of friendship. And it goes on about respect of their talent and um, what they mean to each other. But it's not in a romantic sense. And I thought that was, uh, it was very sweet. Yeah. Didn't make me cry. But I very rarely cry, to be honest. I don't cry all that often. It's films, though, that get me. Music on the odd occasion but then there's usually something behind it there's a reason for it you know mm-hmm. that you know I'm going through something or I'm, I'm you know in a happy place or a sad place but to be just affected by something what is, what is absurd um, Tom Cruise apparently <laughs> I also think though as well like um, with crying I, I don't have this but I don't know if you ever know any if you've ever met anyone um I know a couple of people who cry when they get really, really angry. When they get absolutely furious, yeah. they cry. Yeah. And a couple of people have said to me, it's so annoying because it's emotionally the exact opposite yeah. of what they want to project. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like some people who can't help but laugh at things like funerals. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, you're, yes, absolutely. I know a few people. And, and I, I always thought that because um, I know a couple of people who have done that. And I think it's because your brain is just going, there is... I, I think, early, yeah. yeah, it's the the early 
it's possibly the first time you've been to something like a funeral. Mm. I think it's with no context. Yeah, it's like mm. your brain doesn't quite know how to compute. Yeah, it's, it all depends on the emotional attachment. Once again, isn't it? All right, Matt. You know the Disney film, The Rescuers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. Original or Down Under? Uh, original. Yeah. yeah. I can... Um, it's it's like the opening scene to Up. Yeah. I mean, that, but that's not absurd. That's a completely rational oh, way. Totally that, that, yeah. that tugs on the heartstrings. It's like... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's purposeful. Yeah, that's yeah, purposeful. Yeah. It's like the, the first film I can remember making me um, well up was um the end of empire of the sun when mm. christian mm. bale is reunited with his parents and i don't know i don't think i'd ever cried at a film before but that i can remember welling up feels like he's been reunited i think i just been drawn into the film it was a film i wasn't expecting to enjoy and i got totally yeah reeled into it and masterpiece yeah. that film yeah yeah but no but, uh, but again it's but, but that's not an absurd thing no, but it's because matt that way. Yeah. mentioned the rescuers which i can remember loving as a kid yeah so but why the rescuers why what's the What's the... It was the song, the song when they take off. They both fly out to um, to rescue the, the little girl Penny. Yeah. Um, and remember, you know, they're like mice, aren't they? Yes. It's not like Dwayne the the cock Johnson has has <laughs> gone off in a tank. Like this is they're, they're mice. They're tiny. Um, and you know, they set off. Um, they fly on this big bird, don't they? And the music uh, is su- such a beautiful song. And right. yeah, it just really made me cry. And also, it, I was eighteen, and it was in my freshers' week at university, um, so it was it was very embarrassing. Was there any sort of like hardcore drugs behind this at all, by any chance? Or no, no, just pr- probably just quite a strong coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Tim, one third of the Freedom Fighters podcast. We'd like to say a big thank you to all of those who have sent questions in so far. Please keep them coming in. Get in touch via Instagram and Facebook at 3DumbFighters, or you can email us at 3DumbFighters at Outlook.com. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our previous episodes, then you'll find them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The 3DumbFighters podcast. <laughs>